This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where the state health department reports almost 9,500 new cases of coronavirus and 136 new fatalities from COVID-19. But our optimist-in-chief doesn't seem to be worried by those numbers. You know, we're turning this thing uh, back in a good direction. I think we're going to continue to see some improvements. The governor holds a roundtable discussion with doctors in hopes of reassuring the public that hospitals have not been overrun by COVID-19 patients. Statewide, 24 percent of the hospital beds in the state of Florida are empty. Uh, that's over 14,000 hospital beds and about 20 percent of the ICU beds uh, are empty. And that's uh, that's over a thousand uh, ICU beds. Ron DeSantis likes to surround himself with doctors when he does these coronavirus updates, with one notable exception. Florida Surgeon General Scott Rivkes used to be a regular during the early days of the pandemic. We haven't seen much of him since Rivkes went off message and said we might need to maintain social distancing until next year. So did the governor disappear him? No, he's working really hard. I mean, we, um, you know, we've got a lot of irons in the fire, as you know. There's a lot of stuff going on, um, you know, with the Department of Health. DeSantis was also asked if he supports an extension of the $600 a week unemployment benefits from the feds. He answered, but did not answer the question. Today on the Sunrise interview, you'll hear from Robert Weiser to Florida Tax Watch, which has issued a report critical of a legislative plan to build a new toll road stretching 150 miles from Citrus County to the Georgia border. When you're talking about a road through rural areas in northwest Florida, the question is, are enough people going to use it to pay off those bonds? In this case, we could be talking between four and ten billion dollars, billion with a B, to build this thing. So you need a lot of people to drive on it in order to pay off the bond. We'll also check out your calendar of events and check in with a Florida man accused of taking the kids out for a Sunday drive while he was drunk. You'll also hear about a Florida woman busted for trying to steal a sex toy from Walmart of all places. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Wednesday, July 21st. The state health department reports 136 more fatalities and almost 9,500 new cases of COVID-19 in Florida. The death toll has reached 5,319. The number of confirmed cases is just short of 370,000. But you'll be happy to know there is plenty of room in the hospital if you get sick. Governor Ron DeSantis held a roundtable discussion with several health care executives to say all those headlines about hospitals and intensive care units being filled to capacity are a bit misleading. Statewide, 24 percent of the hospital beds in the state of Florida are empty. Uh, that's over 14,000 hospital beds and about 20 percent of the ICU beds uh, are empty. And that's uh, that's over a thousand uh, ICU beds. When they say that there's a hospital without, just understand, we have a lot of rural communities and hospitals that have zero ICU capacity. They, under any circumstances, they just don't have them. And if there is a need for that level of care, then the patients are, are sent to areas that are a little bit more populated that have that. Um, also, we have a number of hospitals who are part of a larger system who may only have a few uh, ICU beds in that particular hospital, but system-wide, there would be a lot of capacity. And Advent is one example of that, so they're going to talk about you know, how, how that is going on. So in Miami-Dade, for example, which is obviously seeing the most hospital admissions in the state of Florida, you know, they have almost 18% of all their beds are available, uh, which is, uh, I think, about 1,500 beds as of this morning. Um, and then they have 15% of the ICU beds available. So there is capacity, obviously, to deal with COVID, but it's also important to note COVID-19 is just a fraction of what these hospitals are doing every day. And they're treating people for all types of ailments. 
you know, the concern I have when I hear things and people somehow think that, you know, there's not um, capacity throughout the state is we don't want people who have other conditions other than COVID in particular to be deterred from seeking medical care. We know that that happened in March and April, where a lot of people with heart and stroke were deterred from going to the emergency department. You saw significant declines across the country of people deferring care. Part of that was, I think, a fear of, of acquiring COVID uh, while in the hospital, which is not a good fear because these folks are taking huge precautions to keep everyone safe. But then I think part of it was people just assumed there was no capacity for people other than COVID, which is absolutely uh, not true. The governor likes to bring friendly doctors and healthcare executives to his COVID updates, but you don't see much of the state surgeon general anymore. Dr. Scott Rivkes used to join the governor for these press conferences until he made the cardinal mistake of saying people should wear masks and practice social distancing until there's a vaccine, which could mean next year. There is a price to pay when you go off message, and Rivkes has pretty much vanished from the governor's press conferences. But it's not like he's being punished, right? No, he's working really hard. I mean, we... Um you know, we've got a lot of irons in the fire, as you know. There's a lot of stuff going on, um, you know, with the Department of Health. And so um, I know he reiterated some guidance um, recently with, uh, with some stuff about our vulnerable populations, about our advisories on face masks, about our advisories on uh, some, of the, some of the close contact in, in large groups. And, and I think that that's been, uh, been very, very important. I think one of the reasons, I mean, you know, if you look, um, you know, I think we're going in a good direction. I think obviously the ED visits, the plateauing, the hospitals suggest that. Uh, but you really could see as this became something uh, that was kind of, quote, hot again in terms of something that people were really concerned about. And look, we had a very quiet May and early June. I mean, that's just, we were fortunate of that. If you look at those COVID-like illness visits, I mean, they were like, you know, very low for a state of our size consistently. Uh, and then as this, um, you know, you started to see more of a, more of a wave here, uh, I think people really did uh, heed the guidelines. And I think that's, uh, that's been a big part of, uh, of why I think we're, you know, we're turning this thing uh, back in a good direction and why I think we're going to continue to see some improvements. That last sentence just sort of reaches out and grabs you. We're the epicenter of the outbreak in America. Other governors are saying things like, we can't be the next Florida. So how does the governor think we're turning this back in a good direction when we've set records for new cases of coronavirus over the past couple of weeks? You know, those were infections that probably happened 10 to 14 days ago. Um, so you look at the, um, you know, you look at the syndromatic uh, uh, surveillance info, you, you talk to hospitals that are seeing, you know, plateau in patients. That is much better to have ED visits going down than to have them going up. It's much better to have the census plateaued. And there's some areas where it is declining for COVID patients. That is much better than seeing the escalation that we had seen. And so, um, yeah, I think, it's, I think it's much better today than it was two weeks ago. And I think it will continue to improve. If you look at, um, you look at Central Florida, for example, you know, we have counties like Brevard and Orange and Lake and Seminole you know, have now been in the single digits in terms of their percent positive. You look at like a Pinellas County, they've been consistently now single digits. That, that was not the case two weeks ago. Um, and so these things, these things take time, but I do think that, um, uh, I think the trend is much better today than the trend was, than the trend was uh, two weeks ago. So I'm, I'm confident, you know, we're gonna get through this. I'm confident that the folks here in our hospital system are gonna continue to do a great job. They'll be able to meet the demand. Um, and, uh, and I think that, you know, Floridians, I think there's a lot of, uh, of anxiety and fear out there. And, and I think that folks just, 
it's it's going to be we're going to be able to get through it. Uh, we got a lot of stuff um, you know going on in the state. We're going to continue to have things you know that we're going to need to do as a state. Um, so you know we're going to get through it. Uh, we're not there yet, um, but I think that um, you know I'd much rather have a thousand visits than 2,500 uh, like we were seeing you know two weeks ago. And I'm much rather have a hospital saying that they've had uh, you know a week of of stable census rather than saying like this thing is, is, is spinning, you know, it's, it's, it's increasing, it's increasing, we don't know when it's gonna stop. So that's just the vantage point. And, um, uh, but, but, I, but I think people are doing a lot of good stuff around the state. The governor was also asked if he supports efforts in Congress to extend the $600 week unemployment benefits that helped so many Floridians make ends meet when they were laid off or furloughed because of the pandemic. The governor answered, but he never really answered the question. You know, I, I haven't been following what they're doing. I mean, I think that, um, you know, uh, we want to get people back to work. For, fortunately, um, you know, our unemployment at uh, 10.7 was probably lower than most people forecasted it would have been. Uh, we're going to keep society functioning. We want people to get back to work. You know, I've heard of, of maybe offering kind of a reemployment bonus for people that are going back. Uh, you know, that may be something that would be positive and, um, and could potentially make a difference. But, uh, you know, it's been tough for a lot of folks. Uh, to uh, to see the economy change the way it is. I mean, I think you know, we've we've added more employment than I think people thought we could, uh, but we got a long way to go, and this is going to take some time. And uh, you know, I think people should understand that it's not necessarily just a question of of um, of whether you want to work or not. It's a question of whether all the jobs are going to be there. And I think what you're going to see is you know, the way some of these businesses operate, how they've changed operations during the pandemic, some of those operations are gonna change going forward. And, uh, and some of the folks uh, who were laid off, you know, they may not have the ability to go back to some of these jobs. I mean, we think there's a lot of jobs that will just be filled, but I don't think it's gonna be 100%. And that's something that we're gonna have to reckon with. The federal unemployment benefits run out at the end of the month, unless Congress agrees to an extension. A Florida congressman is accused of dropping the F-bomb and the B-bomb after an encounter with a New York congresswoman half his age. The dust-up between Ted Yoho of Gainesville and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez of New York was witnessed by a reporter from The Hill who said Yoho was walking away from the confrontation when he called her a, quote, fucking bitch. The House Majority Leader is calling on Yoho to apologize personally to AOC and publicly on the House floor. Next up on the Sunrise Interview, we'll talk with one of the big dogs at Florida Tax Watch to find out why they're so concerned about the state's plan to build a new toll road from Citrus County to the Georgia border. You're listening to the Sunrise Podcast, and we're much obliged. The Florida Hospital Association has released the OPEN plan, designed to allow Florida's safe resumption of elective surgeries and procedures. OPEN stands for O, observe the COVID-19 rate of community occurrence. P, prevent transmission. E, establish the process to restore elective surgeries and procedures, and N, network with all healthcare providers. You can read the open plan today at fha.org. Welcome back to Sunrise. The Suncoast Connector is one of three new toll roads that are now in the planning stages in Florida. It would stretch 150 miles from Citrus County to the Georgia border in Jefferson County. This is part of Senate President Bill Galvano's pet project called MCORS, Multi-Use Corridors of Regional Economic Significance. Robert Weisert is the Executive Vice President of Florida Tax Watch, and while they're big supporters of infrastructure projects, Weisert says there's a problem with MCORS, specifically with the Suncoast Connector. MCORS is a, a large multi-use corridor transportation infrastructure project passed by the legislature in 2019. 
It envisions toll roads, but also uh, access to broadband, um, some sewer infrastructure, and a variety of different infrastructure projects in three major corridors uh, in the southwest and the central and the northwest of Florida. The Suncoast Connector is one of those uh, segments, and the Suncoast Connector Roadway is one of the three toll roads that are part of the larger MCORS uh, plan. Now, of those three plans, I understand your only con- your main concern is with the one, the big one that goes from what, um, the, the, the Suncoast Parkway all the way up to the Georgia border. What's the concern there? Well, what we looked at was the economic and fiscal feasibility of the road, the Suncoast Connector. This is a 150-mile extension of Florida's turnpike system. Uh, as you said, it would run up Florida's northwest coast. It would be the largest expansion of the system. In, in total, the three roads, roads are more than 300 miles uh, added to Florida's turnpike system. But uh, only one of those three is in northwest Florida. The other two, uh, one's 40 miles, one's 140 miles long. Uh, and they're in more populous areas of Florida. This one really runs through some pretty rural communities. If we're going to put a toll road, it needs people because that's how we pay off the bonds that it costs to build the thing. And the question is, are there going to be people driving on it? Because the fewer people there are, the more you have to raise the tolls, the the higher the toll has to be, which then unfortunately makes fewer people want to drive on the road. So you can build the toll road in the middle of one of Florida's most populous counties and be pretty assured that people are going to drive on it and whatever you charge is, is going to be sufficient to cover the bond costs. That is the money that we borrow up front to build it. But when you're talking about a road through rural areas in northwest Florida, the question is, are enough people going to use it to pay off those bonds? In this case, we could be talking between four and ten billion dollars, billion with a B, to build this thing. So you need a lot of people to drive on it in order to pay off the bond. You're also concerned about the way this came about, right? The sort of back way the roads evolved without any sort of advanced planning. This was just a legislative turkey in its start. Well, this is something the legislature did, and their prerogative to add projects onto the, the Department of Transportation's long-term outlook, their, uh, their multi-year work program. Um, but again, because it's a toll road, the question of will people use it really becomes uh, paramount for an organization like ours uh, to ensure the fiscal stability, not only of the state, but of the turnpike system. And we have seen examples where, where the legislature has decided to build toll roads, uh, not necessarily looking at the DOT normal process to determine whether those are fiscally viable, but uh, through their own prerogative as a legislature, and things like Garcon Point Bridge out in uh, northwest Florida, where uh, actually a a judge just had to come in and up the toll to $5 to cross that bridge because it's more than $100 million in debt, because basically the legislature decided to put a bridge where there really wasn't sufficient traffic to justify a toll bridge, and now the toll bridge is unable to pay back its own bonds. And so that can be a real issue. We have processes set up to make sure that when we build roads, especially if they're toll roads, people are going to use them. So they're going to generate the money to pay back the, the, the bonds that we uh, took out to build them. And when we circumvent those processes, sometimes it can get pretty hairy. What kind of money are we talking about that's already been committed to this project? Well, the, the MCORS project itself uh, gets some money from the State Transportation Trust Fund to get some money from the gas tax. Uh, And actually, that's been a positive thing. Uh, Some gas tax money that used to go into GR that we've long called for that gas tax money to be used for the State Transportation Trust Fund and for uh, transportation infrastructure projects, which TaxWatch generally has supported uh, the state's investment in infrastructure. 
Uh, we've called for that money instead of going to GR to go to the State Transportation Trust Fund. And the MCOR's law did that, about $100 million. It'll be per year. But all of that money right now is being spent on planning uh, for these corridors. So uh, the, the, the transfer of money back to the State Transportation Trust Fund from gas taxes where it belongs instead of general revenue is a positive thing. But already in the planning stages, it's costing more than uh, $100 million a year. Uh, there's some other money from some rural infrastructure funds and some other uh, little bits of money that goes to a variety of things uh, from a variety of places. But uh, the biggest part of this is going to come once they actually start laying asphalt. And that's going to be uh, the bonded money to build the road. And we're estimating between 4 and $10 billion to do that, which is going to mean not even with right-of-way costs, but it's going to mean that basically every mile of that toll road is going to have to generate more than $3 in revenue per year, um, which is higher than the average part of the turnpike system. So it's a, it's a pretty significant outlay already, but it, what we're talking about is a really significant outlay. Um, and we better be sure that the revenue is there to cover those costs. Is there any chance of stopping it at this point? Well, certainly. I think the legislature can always go back and look at it. Um, at this point, we still don't even have a route. We know what the corridor will be. We know the counties will run through. We know essentially where it'll begin and where it'll end, but we don't know what the route will be. Uh, that still has yet to be determined. So certainly uh, the legislature could end it basically at any, at any point. But there's, there's still a lot of questions uh, and a lot of opportunity to ask those questions. In fact, the task forces are still meeting, uh, asking these kind of questions and, and many others about what the environmental impact will be and what the impact on local communities will be. And I think all those are important questions, too. But uh, ultimately, somebody really needs to be asking about the bottom line. And, uh, and I think that's the conversation that uh, the tax watch report here has jump-started. And this is the largest expansion of Florida's toll road uh, that we've ever done. So there's, there's a lot of money at stake here, and we certainly need to make sure that the taxpayers and the turnpike system are being protected. It's not just an economic issue. The Suncoast Connection will open vast wildlife habitats and farmland in North Florida to unchecked development, which could damage the water supply. After months of task force and community meetings by the DOT, there are still more questions than answers. In fact, we don't even know what the routes will be or the final cost. The environmental group 1000 Friends of Florida says the best option is not to build it in the first place. Your calendar of events begins at 9 with a meeting of the Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission. They're taking up a draft rule that would suspend wild oyster harvesting in Apalachicola Bay through the end of 2025. The Self-Insurance Estimating Conference meets at 9 to analyze issues related to the Risk Management Trust Fund. A task force working on plans to extend Florida's turnpike from Wildhood to the Suncoast Parkway holds an online meeting at 9.30. This is one of the other MCOR's toll roads. The State Reemployment Assistance Appeals Commission meets at 9.30 in Tallahassee. The Valencia College Board of Trustees meets online at 9.30. The South Florida State College Board of Trustees meets at 1 in Avon Park. The Revenue Estimating Conference talks about financial outlooks after the session at 2. The Lake Sumter State College Board of Trustees meets at 4 in Leesburg. And the Trauma System Advisory Council is scheduled to meet by conference call at 4. Finally today, an update on Florida woman and her better half. A Florida man is accused of taking his kids out for a Sunday drunk drive. 42-year-old Timothy Gashka of Crestview is charged with DUI, two counts of child neglect, and possession of marijuana. Okaloosa County Sheriff's deputies did a traffic stop and say they found him with two children who were visibly frightened. Gashka reportedly told deputies he was trying to scare the children. He didn't say why, but apparently it worked. 
Finally today, a Florida woman ends up in jail after trying to steal a sex toy and personal lubricant from Walmart. Deputies in Marion County say 53-year-old Monica Lynn Beach of Oklahoma failed to scan four items in the self-checkout lane. Ice cream, toilet paper, lube, and a vibrating egg. Walmart is prosecuting because this was not her first time. That's it for today's episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics.